This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations, Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean, Ships Registry, Bahamas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. your host Christopher Rennie bringing you an instant recap show with Land Grant Holy Land. We are here after Ohio State has disposed of Rutgers, I'd like to say 52 to 13, in arguably their most complete performance of the year from the starters, I'll add. I'm joined by Matt Tamanini today because Jordan Williams is at his homecoming at Kent State. Uh, from the looks of the score when I last checked it, it wasn't going as planned for the Golden Flashes, but this is an Ohio State show, and that's the reason me and Matt are here. How are you doing today, Matt, after that performance? Uh, I'm doing great. I mean, I think I, I mentioned on Twitter, on the Lane Green account, about oh, I, maybe at the beginning of the third quarter, maybe end of the second quarter, what, I asked people whether this was Rutgers reverting back to, back to Rutgers or Ohio State getting back to being Ohio State. The, the thoughts were mostly on the latter and maybe a little mixed. I am firmly on the latter. I think this is Ohio State getting back to being Ohio State mainly because of some changes we've seen in philosophy over the last few weeks that I think are very much uh, capable of being carried forward. Even if the results may vary as competition increases, I think this is a different Ohio State team on both sides of the ball, and that is very, very exciting. Coming out of a game that a lot of people thought would be closer than at least the final score ended up being. 
Yeah, I think we could like start with this. At halftime, it was 45 to 6. Ohio State jumped out to an early 14 to 0 lead, kind of with their formula give the ball to Henderson, have a few short passes completed to keep them honest. And then Denzel Burke with a pick six, which seems to be a normal occurrence now with the defense, which is something we weren't fully used to the first three weeks of the season. So it's been like a pleasant change. Uh, CJ Stroud, uh, I think the talk. (laughs) All week was his shoulder health. Uh, his this whole season, four games in, uh, me and Jordan have had absolute headaches going back and forth with fans all year. I think it's finally safe to say when CJ Stroud gets warmed up, when he's fully engaged, ready to go, I think that rest did him tons. Mm-hmm. Uh, just everything he needed was that rest, and he came out, looked confident, delivered some throws. I, I think it's safe to say uh, Ryan Day was right. Yeah, and it goes to show that maybe uh, those of us who don't get to watch practice and don't get to watch training and don't get to watch film sessions don't know as much as the multi-million dollar head coach who gets to do all that and makes the decisions. Now, I think you know I was firmly in the Stroud camp from the very beginning, um, and I did – I did think that there was a chance in that Akron game, if Kyle McCord came out and looked spectacular, that we could end up seeing a little bit of a competition. But McCord didn't look spectacular. He looked honestly about as good as as Stroud did, despite the fact that we had learned that Stroud had been pretty much injured from the beginning of the season, even into yeah. the camp. So I, I think it is very clear that CJ Stroud is the right guy for right now. Will that change next season when Quinn Ewers is, is up to speed on the offense? Who knows? But if we're talking about the 2021 Ohio State football team, there is no doubt that CJ Stroud is the guy and will be the guy for as long as he is healthy. Yeah, and before we keep moving forward, I think there's this common, like, you know, especially with the national media mostly and a lot of fan bases from around the country, like, they see Rutgers, they see that R on the helmet, and they think, man, this is just a, this is that terrible Rutgers team that we, this team took Michigan to the wire last week. This team has improved steadily for the last year, uh, for the last two years under Shiano. And I think the one thing that I wasn't expecting, and I think I put it in my, uh, film preview and the in buck off. I said this team wasn't going to quit, and Ohio State made them quit at halftime. Yeah. Like without a doubt, you're absolutely right. And that was something that I was I I didn't think this Ohio State team had that in them yet, and they did it, and it was probably the most complete performance from the starting unit that I've seen on both sides well, of the ball. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to differ with you just a little bit because I thought Ohio State had it in them on offense if Stroud was healthy because clearly they have an insane wide receiving core. Travion Henderson, despite the fact that I think he maybe got a little banged up in that first half and they kept him out for whatever and they have a great offensive line. Um, I thought they had the potential to do this on offense if Stroud was healthy. I did not expect them to completely and utterly dominate on defense. Not that Rutgers offense has been great this year against competent teams, not Delaware and Temple. They're only averaging 15 points a game. So against uh, Michigan yeah. and I forget who else, uh, oh, Syracuse. I mean, Syracuse isn't all that great. They only average 15 points. So it's not like they were a great offense to begin with, but I mean, Ohio State hadn't been a great defense in the first few games of the season. So that surprised me more than anything, that they played a resoundingly complete game on defense. And even though they gave up points in the fourth quarter, which was effectively like the fourth string, like you saw Marcus Hooker out there, which is the third or fourth string. You had a couple walk-on linebackers because the depth at linebacker has been so hurt um, over the last few weeks with injuries and transfers. So I I was most impressed 
with the defense, despite the fact that the offense was, I mean, practically perfect while the starters were in. Yeah, and I think I think you're onto something. I, the offense had been struggling under Stroud, the like you know inconsistent. And yeah. one thing that I wanted to see from him was a full Chris dominant performance, which is exactly what they showed with him in the game. Like uh, he was 17 for 23 in the game. That's a great efficiency. He had uh, I want to say what was it five touchdowns? Yeah, five touchdowns. And one other thing. This one thing. I jump in here real quick. Every according to the official stat keeper at Rutgers. Every one of Stroud's incompletions was a wide receiver drop. I don't know if that's factually accurate. That seems wrong to me. But according to the official stats, all of the incompletions that C.J. Stroud threw were drops. That I, It doesn't seem right, but officially that's the case. And that that's just uh, – that's pure efficiency. That's exactly what I think we've been missing from every single quarterback who's taken snaps for Ohio State so far. So it was great to see it. Uh, Henderson, Travion, absolutely put on a show in his quarter and a half of work, you know, kind of doing what he's been known to do, getting tough yards and then busting one off. Uh, I, I like seeing Chris Olave get back in the action with some of his big plays. I think uh, seeing him with that long touchdown – where Stroud eluded the pressure, delivered that kind of sidearm throw to him, and then Alave did the rest. It was one of the best plays collectively I've seen in the passing game on the year, and I, it was exciting to see these types of plays being made. Yeah, I mean, what was great about it was is that it took – extraordinary individual efforts from both the quarterback and the wide receiver to make that into a touchdown. You saw Stroud, who has been knocked by some fans quite a bit for not being willing to run or scramble or anything. He did a little bit more of that today. My argument has always been that that's not a a part of a Ryan Day offense for the quarterback to run. But in this case, he scrambled. He stepped up into the pocket to avoid pressure, threw on the run, hit Olave in stride, and Olave just did Olave things, went God tier with it, and and ran all the way in for a 56-yard touchdown. And it was just an absolutely incredible play. And it was exciting having seen Olave only have two catches in the previous two games combined to bust out for five receptions, two touchdowns, 119 yards. Um, that's what you expect from um, you know, one of, if not the best wide receivers in the country. Yeah. And I think, you know, seeing how effortless Olave did that on the sideline, Garrett Wilson had some effortless plays. The, the stat that kept sticking out to me when they were showing it throughout the game was like four touchdowns, four different players, five touchdowns, five different players, six touchdowns, six different players. And every single time the offense attacked they attacked Rutgers differently which is something I don't think we've seen from day I think day was kind of easing this whole offensive unit into this season and now it felt like he was in his whole bag of tricks and we saw the tight end used we saw Mitch Rossi get a touchdown we saw Alave get two and it was just absolutely a play calling performance I think we've been missing from him uh, especially with you know how he called the accurate game I think we saw we saw it, but as we've all alluded to, it was just accurate. Now we saw it against a relatively real defense with Shiano, and he was aggressive. He was mixing it up. He was setting up plays, and it was really just what you expect from his play calling acumen. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I've complained about throughout the season is that they were trying to fit a square peg into a round hole in terms of C.J. Stroud and the, the game plan and the play calling. 
I said from the very beginning that, I, and I might have said it on shows with you at one point, uh, even Chris, is that I thought that what would be best for C.J. Stroud, based off of the fact that he had no passing experience in college, uh, commanded the season, what we saw from him in terms of uh, his performance in the spring game, the types of wide receivers that we had, I assumed that we would see much more of the Dwayne Haskins passing offense um, from C.J. Stroud because he's got a good arm, but he doesn't have necessarily the arm that um, Kyle McCord has or even Quinn Ewers has. Um, so I expected to see a lot more of the short crossing routes, more of the timing plays. And I know that's hard with a guy that doesn't have a ton of experience and in chemistry with the wide receivers. So maybe that's why we didn't see it early. But it felt like early on, Day was trying to force Stroud to play like Justin Fields. And he's just not that guy, at least not yet. I mean, Justin Fields, I think, is going to go down as the best quarterback in terms of talent in Ohio State history. And to try to force him into making these deep bombs isn't going to happen. And despite the fact that he attempted 23 passes today, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember any bomb passes. I mean, he he def- certainly had a number of, of plays that were uh, that went for a lot of yards, but I don't think that any of them were like 30, 40, 50 yards in the air, were they? Yeah, no, a lot of his uh, damage was done on those intermediate, like 15 to 25 yard range throws. Uh, you know, they used a lot of those old mesh concepts. Yeah, we used to Haskins. love seeing Dwayne yeah. Haskins utilize. And, you know, he got comfortable. And I think the one advantage Ohio State had with being able to go back to that playbook was Rutgers's reliance on running man to man coverage a lot. And, uh, you know, that gives you opportunities to like run these timing plays at your best because you have the best receivers in the country. So they're out, they're totally outclassing those DBs and man coverage. And there was never any question about it, but that's the type of game that can give Crystal or not Crystal Lave CJ Stroud, the confidence when he has to sit back there, when he has to be a little bit more patient to deliver these throws against teams, dropping eight against them. Uh, but I think his best throw of the day was that, that fade route he threw to Jackson Smith and Jigba down yeah, the sideline. In the third quarter. Just dropped in right over. It was like a 20-yard throw, but it was just absolutely put on the platter for Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was an absolutely unbelievable throw. And it was another one where I believe – I can't remember if it was that one or not. Um, and I have to go look because I've got all those videos up. But um, – it, it, I think I'm thinking of the Chris Olave. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. But what, whether it was that one or not, the point is, is that he also was not getting happy feet trying to avoid all contact that came in. There was a number of times, and I, I don't remember if it was that Jackson one or not, but where he stepped up into the pocket to make a throw while he knew he was about to get hit. And I think that that goes a long way in yeah. his development or shows us that he's come a long way in his development as a, as a quarterback is because he knew he was going to get hit. He was willing to take the hit, and he was still able to deliver the ball um, and not only a way that allowed for a completion, but in a way that showed like, Oh, that was an expert pass. That wasn't just like, Oh, that was, that was a good throw. And he was wide open. Like a lot of times he is, that was a really, really impressive pass. And it wasn't, he wasn't under pressure against Jackson, but there was another one, I think to Olave where he stepped up and, and took the hit. Fortunately, the Rutgers defender actually, it kind of rolled off on him, but he was bearing down until the last second. So uh, I don't know that there is really anything that you can critique from CJ Stroud in this game, other than the fact that he allowed Ryan day to take him out in the third quarter. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, just the way he was a he was very confident. That was like totally. I think the biggest difference I think we saw. And the confidence he had when he had to deliver a strike across the middle, when he had to t- throw it outside the numbers. You know, I think the play one of the plays you were kind of alluding to was that Jeremy Rucker touchdown where the defensive end sure. came as a free blitzer with the protection that was there and he knew he had one and a half seconds to get this throw off. He stood in there and he knew Ruckert would come open under the coverage and he just delivered an absolute strike to him and it was an easy touchdown. But being able to be confident enough to stand there and know you're going to take that shot is one thing and then actually doing it is another. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is exactly what play I was thinking of was the one to um, uh, was was the one to Ruckert where he fakes the handoff inside and he's about to get hit and throws it uh, to the tight end over the middle. So, you know, I, I think obviously when you have numbers like he did, I think you said at 17 of 23 for 330 yards and five touchdowns, like that's about <laughs> as perfect as you're going to get, especially if Rutgers is going to give yeah. you credit for drops on your six incompletions. Um so I, I think the question there uh, at quarterback is completely answered. I don't think that there's any chance that barring injury or anything else unforeseen that we see anybody else take meaningful snaps for Ohio State this season. Um, I think that was backed up by the fact that in over a quarter and a half, Kyle McCord and Jack Miller the third. Um, attempted four passes and completed one of them combined for three yards. So I, I think that it's very clear that CJ Stroud is the man. And I, but, but what I think is most important, because I think we always knew that that's what Ryan Day was going to do based off how he explained the situation. But I think more importantly, it is very clear now that CJ Stroud deserves to be the man. And if you are still stumping for somebody other than CJ Stroud, you clearly have some sort of vested interest in somebody else uh, seeing the field because yeah. there's no logical reason uh, to put anybody else in crunch time into the game. Uh, For sure. And I think, you know, what I said last week about the Akron game was it gave me confidence that in a one-off situation, I I believe in McCord, I believe in Miller, but then with Stroud today, you could see that there was just a different level to him when he's healthy that they just could not get up to. Yeah, I agree. Uh, But yeah. Uh, we've talked a lot about the offense. I, I know Stroud was the conversation today uh, outside of the receivers. You know, we didn't hear much about the offensive line, which is always something you really love to not hear, I guess, <laughs> is where I'm going with it, because that means they didn't give up any sacks or any real pressures. Uh, so overall, I think the offense's performance, you've got to really applaud it. And then the defense, I think we got to spend some time there. Yeah. Uh, the defense only did record one sack, and it was really late in the game. And we all know who it was. It was Tyleek Williams, who seems to be the only guy who knows how to actually get home. Uh, Garrett uh, Wilson no had draws. three last week, so I'll give him – I know it was Akron, but uh, yeah. I, I, you, can't, you can't overlook uh, Haskell too much. That's true, uh, but uh, it was more a joke because Tyreek Williams just he's, seems to always he just sad. eats people alive. It's what he does. And you know, I, I really liked what the defensive line did today. It's just really weird how you know I saw JTT getting it there, his bull rushing his tackle into the quarterback's lap multiple times. Like I know Vidral's athletic, but he's really not over athletic, so. It was, it was a little concerning to only get one sack, but I do think they were ramping up the pressure, so I kind of wanted to get your opinion on that. Well, you tell me, you're, you know more of the X's and O's than, than I do, and during the games, I'm kind of like going, you know, keeping one eye on Twitter and one eye on, on the game. 
what how much did they do to bring pressure beyond just the four linemen were they bringing i mean I, obviously i know they brought some blitzes but were they mi- mixing those up was it just linebackers were they bringing any any corner or safety blitzes what were they doing on the defensive side to try to get pressure beyond just saying hey you're you're our defensive lineman go try to get the quarterback yeah, so, I mean, the last couple of weeks we'd see them use a little bit more stunts. I, I didn't really see as many of those this week, but I do think that was because Vidral has been able to damage. Like, last week he damaged Michigan pretty effectively with scrambling when Michigan's defensive lineman would get caught in stunts. So I think they really did kind of go with a straight-up four-man rush with the only aid being the linebackers blitzing because I didn't really see any – bullet blitzes i didn't see any corner blitzes this week Uh, i was kind of more just the six guys in the middle kind of doing their best and you know it sucks because i I did see the quarterback get tackled in the backfield i did see him get tackled at the line of scrimmage and those aren't sacks but they're still really good plays that don't net any yards so i i do i see i i just wanted like a little bit of some confirmation here i do think the d-line played well I just didn't show up in the stat well, sheet. Well, I mean, I think that the fact that Rutgers, if you take out the garbage time, did not run the ball effectively at all. That's a big step for the defensive Huge line as, as well. So even if they weren't getting the sacks, um, which, of course, we all want and we know the difference between pressures especially like how pff grades pressures Ohio state was great last year but it did nothing i think that the the, i think the the quality of pressures that ohio state has been giving getting in recent weeks is much improved over what we saw last year um i think just getting guys in the backfield and forcing a quarterback to step up doesn't really do a whole lot especially in the big 10 when not that the big 10 quarterbacks are are you know the, the most talented in the country but they're still Big Ten quarterbacks. They should be able to step up in a pocket and and make a make a play. Um, so, but it now seems like they're actually the pressure is actually causing some sort of disruptment, um, which I think is huge. And and if they still can't get home and, and record a ton of sacks, I will take that type of pressure over what we saw last year, especially when the defensive line is also effectively shutting down running games again. Um, especially up the middle. I mean, there's still at times, I think, issues with uh, DBs setting the edge, but I think they did a much better job of that this week. So overall, I can't be super disappointed with the defensive line, especially if, as you said, there really wasn't a ton of anything exotic to get to uh, the quarterback this week as they've been doing in recent weeks, and that might have to do with the style of quarterback that Noah Vidral is. Yeah, and I I do think... uh... They do a lot of quick game as well. So I think there was kind of a lot of the defense alignment trying to get upfield, but making sure their eyes are on the quarterbacks to get their hands. As we saw Jack Sawyer get a beautiful knockdown. We saw a couple knockdowns in the first half uh, from the defensive line. So I think there's some sort of coaching there. Uh, it's not always, I mean, you always want to see sacks, but sometimes the goal is to disrupt the game a different way at times. And I think that's kind of what we saw as well. But I'll probably have to take another look at it just to kind of see. Because I know everyone's going to look at the box score and be like, one sack. And that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up. Because I think overall it was a solid performance. Uh, I think everyone would love to see a nine sack game again, but that's just not how it's going to work every week. No, and, and I think there were plenty of other things that the defense did well on the back half that 
is more encouraging than the lack of actual sacks is discouraging, you know, and I don't know it again, you you're much more of the technical football guy than I am. It seemed like they were doing a lot of different things on the back end where they were showing different things. And whether that was to put things on film now that they kind of have a better idea as to who their guys are and what they can, um, what they can accomplish with them. But it just seemed like they weren't just sitting in the very static stuff that they did early in the season, which was encouraging, especially because I feel like they've figured out who their who their starters are. And even though I would quibble with a few of them, um, I, I think they know who their guys are. And and I'll be interested to see um, what the snap counts are, if we could break them down by half, um, because obviously some other guys are going to get time later in the game. But like, I think in crunch time, they've pretty much narrowed their guys down and they're kind of letting them get a little bit more into the playbook now that they have the experience of playing together. Yeah. And I think what we've seen and we've talked about this a lot is just kind of a, a simplified approach to the defense. You know, I I'd see, you know, in the first three weeks of the season, it seemed like when Ohio State would check, like, to a motion, everyone's job would change. But it seems like when they do a check now, it's to make a simple scheme so they could just react to whatever they see in front of them. And we've seen great defenses across the country, you know, do that. Iowa's defense has done that. Uh, you know, I know we don't like to give the uh, rival too much credit, but that's how they've done their defense this year. And they've both been super effective. And I think what Matt Barnes and that group as Matt Barnes as a play caller has done has allowed them to just be the good football players they are and let them go make plays. Let me ask you this question. And this is getting ahead of ourselves because this is a recap podcast, but assuming things continue like they have been since Matt Barnes took over as the play caller in 2022 or in January of 2022, after the season is over, if Ryan Day announces that Kerry Combs and Matt Barnes are going to be co-defensive coordinators with Matt Barnes as the play caller, does that satisfy you enough of a change uh, to rebuild this defense, assuming that they don't fall off a cliff again and look as bad as they did in the first three games of the season? Yeah, you know, I've actually I, – I've never been as hard on Combs as I probably should have been. Uh, I, I have given him the benefit of the doubt a lot after the first three games of the season, though, with the lack of adjustments and stuff. But I do think there's benefit to him. You know, he's a great mm-hmm. recruiter. Uh, Matt Barnes says he's been giving great input from the booth. But, you know, sometimes people just say stuff to make other people feel good. Uh, and I, I don't know if it'll be enough to keep Combs around. I don't know if I don't know his personality personally. He loves Ohio State. Me and Jordan have made plenty of jokes around that Ryan Day's only compliment of him for the first three games yeah. was he's an Ohio <laughs> guy. But he's a great recruiter. I, I think there is a lot of value with him. We could see. I agree. Since his focus has shifted, uh, the defensive backs have played exceptionally better. And I think. As you sort of look at it, Larry Johnson and Al Washington should for sure be responsible for the front, like seven people, six people. Uh, And Kerry Coombs should be responsible for the back end. And it has worked. But I think the one thing that the co-DC would do, because we felt like Kerry Coombs' voice was overshadowing everybody else's in the room, I think the collaborativeness that Ryan Dave's forced on this defensive staff is what's made it successful. (laughs) So as long as there's collaboration in the room, I, I think titles at this point are meaningless. I think they're all making good money. Uh, Matt Barnes gets to call the plays, but uh, creating a defense, uh, I think Combs, 
I, it would satisfy it. Yeah. Uh, because I'm just looking around. I just don't see any names out there that would excite me enough to be like, yeah, let's replace them straight up. Uh, because Matt Barnes has given me enough to believe in this defensive play calling yeah. staff. The, the only thing that I would say, t- I agree. And I've always been on the, there's a value to retaining Combs if he wants to stay. He might say, look, I see this as a demotion. I love Ohio State, but maybe I'm going to go join Fickle at Cincinnati or if, if he takes the USC or whatever. So maybe he decides to leave on his own. But assuming he doesn't, there's a lot of folks that don't want him around at all. But I think that he's got value on the recruiting trail for sure. I think he's obviously proven himself to be an excellent defensive backs coach. I mean, he's an energy guy that even though he's up in the booth this year, you can figure out a way to get him back on the field, on the sideline next year. And kind of, I think there's a ton of value to that. But if he does choose to leave, I I don't, I, I, assuming again that things continue to go well with Barnes calling plays, I think you have to keep him. You got to lock him down as at least a co, and you want to bring in somebody with some experience to kind of help him grow into that position. And, and whether or not you tier those guys as one being the D the DC and the other one being the co, or if they're on equal playing field or equal footing, I don't care. Um, but. I, I think that if this is actually the precursor to what we're going to see from the defense for the rest of the year, um, again, knowing that the competition will increase, especially after the bye week, after uh, next week's game against Maryland. Um, but if we can see something similar to this, like I feel like Ryan Day might have gotten really lucky and proved me uh, and a lot of people wrong in his hiring and promotion of Matt Barnes. Um, and he might have struck gold and we didn't give him credit for that. Um, and and I, I feel like we might be at, at a point where uh, if you can continue this, that we might need, need to eat a little bit more crow. But anyway, I'm, I apologize for getting us off the topic of this game since this is a, a recap pod. Well, I think it's a huge topic. And, you know, this game was like the first real test this staff's had because we've seen Rutgers put up a lot of total yards. In this game, they didn't. So there's obviously something working in the blueprint here that wasn't working before. And I think that's kind of the conversation that's going to lead the staff the rest of the year. Uh, so uh, my take on it, if Combs could get us Sonny Styles uh, in, <laughs> get his name on the line, do whatever you can yeah, to keep No, him. you're right. Uh, because he, so uh, if he could get him, then he's brought all the value we yeah. need for the next Especially four if years. he can also get someone like Zion Branch or Xavier, Xavier Nwangpa as well in the 2022 class. And then if he can keep Sonny Styles at home, like that is why you would keep a guy like Kerry Combs. Now, obviously, I don't know that he's going to get any of those guys, let alone all three. But that is why you you keep him around. And the one thing that we also have to add to it is the way the defense is looking now is the type of defense good recruits want to come and yeah, play. And hopefully, like I said, they play Maryland next week, then they have the week off, and then they play Indiana, who who knows what Indiana is at this point. I would love to see them give Penn State a, uh, a challenge tonight. But then Ohio State has Penn State, a Nebraska team that's actually better than their record uh, appears. Then they have... Yeah, I mean, they've played two good teams really, really well. Then they've got Purdue, and then they close out the season with Michigan State and uh, the team up north. So, like, they've got a tough stretch to close out the season after this bye week coming up in uh, in two weeks. But if they their defense can continue to improve, and I think that's also important for C.J. Stroud to get another week off to rest his shoulder, like this team is heading in the right direction. And does that mean that I think I'm, I'm picking them right now to be in the college football playoff? Probably not just because let's see it against better competition, but like 
I'm not not picking them, you know, because if they win out, if they win out, they're they're in. Before we move on with the show, we're going to take a quick minute to give a word to our sponsors, and then we'll get into what's next for the Buckeyes and the playoff implications moving forward. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yeah, I think that's kind of the like the one thing Ohio State fans want to hear after a game like this. How does this affect their playoff implications moving forward? And this is just a step in the right direction because the committee is going to have to look at this game. I know they say they look at every game, but seeing that first half, seeing that scoreboard, it really does show a different team than three weeks ago, which when Ohio State was in that 2014-15 season when they lost to Virginia Tech mm-hmm. was a huge point of emphasis on the last decision day was Ohio State's improvement from that loss to them. They were two different teams. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It'd, it'd be unfortunate if it's four and we are in kind of the mix with Oregon because they'd have the head head against us. But right now, I just see a lot of teams in front of us that Ohio State either plays or teams that have to play other ranked teams and could fall. So this this game is exactly what we needed to see to move forward with. And the path is clear. It's right in front of us. It's kind of a control your own destiny to the point you can and then just hope everyone else kind of does what you need them to. And I will say, as we're recording, by the time people hear this, they'll probably know. But Stanford is beating Oregon 31 to 24 in overtime. So. We'll see. We'll see. And that's what we'll see. We'll yeah. see. So that's college football this year. Like there is no definitive front runner. Like yeah. everyone was hyping up Ole Miss. They got absolutely hammered by Alabama. So legitimate front yeah. runner, I guess. Alabama and Georgia. Uh, Georgia's looking yeah, good. That's it. Uh, so, and they have to play each other. So it, it's still up in the air for them, but they probably both get in because they're the two best teams I've seen this year. But Ohio state, you know, I, I kind of want to get your favorite play of the game. Uh, before we get into our final thoughts from this week uh, and go into a few other little things as we close it out. Favorite play of the game. Okay, um, let me see here. I could go with a Mitch Rossi touchdown just because like a fullback scored a touchdown uh, at Ohio State. But I'm going to go with the Travion Henderson um, run, uh, the touchdown, because one, I think he is the key to getting this team back um, to where we were just talking about, to into the playoff race. Obviously, C.J. Stroud is a quarterback. He's the key, but he's a difference maker that uh, Ohio State needs to be able to have a well-rounded defense or well-rounded offense that we didn't see early in the season before Day was able to trust him. But what was so great about that play is, is that, one, he went, whatever it was, 44 yards. He was untouched, and the blocking was tremendous, not only for from the offensive line, but you saw 
you saw Jeremy Rucker deliver an absolutely crushing block on a guy who was in position to make a tackle. And then Henderson ran, the, I think it was 44 yards, um, for the touchdown. And that got it started, and they didn't look back from there. I am firmly of the belief that if Ohio State continues to improve and Henderson is able to stay in the game, whether that's because of blowouts or, or potential injuries, but if he's able to stay in the game, I think he's a legitimate Heisman candidate. Not saying he's a legitimate Heisman winner or maybe even depending on how much time he actually gets, um, even a guy to go to New York. But I think he has the potential to be because he is that good and he is that dominant and averaging nine and a half ish yards a game is pretty remarkable um, for a freshman. So I just love anytime we can see a fully developed, realized play from a really interesting design, because if you watch the offensive line on that play, they kind of shift to the right. And it's, I think it's a little bit of a counter and Henderson goes to the left. Uh, a lot of really interesting motion, great blocking, great yeah, it rushing. It's a, just a great design. Well designed. Play. Yeah, and you know, last week, what did Ohio State do aggressively at the start of the game? They did those little pop passes on the jet mm-hmm. sweep. So, what's one of the first plays they call going into their own for uh, into their own or into Rutgers's half of the field? They call a jet sweep motion, and they set it up real hard. It was like a pretty hard motion fake, and everyone goes that way, and then even Henderson, and that's where the counter comes in, and then it sets up, gives Rucker time to get across. It was just really like. I think you chose like one of the perfect plays because you never really get a play executed where all 11 guys do their job to hundred percent perfection. And if you draw up a play, it couldn't go better than it went on the field. Yeah, I love that one. What about you? Uh, I, I'd have to give my favorite play. I, I really liked uh, the Burke pick six. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was one of those plays, you know, we've been really excited about Denzel Burke all uh, at Langer and Holy land. I think in general, he's been kind of, the the favorite player of the group especially in the defensive backfield uh we had just had that nice run from henderson and you know rutgers had moved the ball a little bit this was like a huge drive opportunity for them to kind of get this game back in control in a way either even swinging field position would have been a win at that point and then denzel burke said nope not today uh just nice pick easy play ran it in three games in a row Uh, It was absolutely just, you know, one of those plays where, you know, with how the defense had played leading up to it, it was just nice and cathartic to finally (laughs) see a play early in a game, not in the third quarter. Yeah, I mean, and what's great about it is is it was not a good pass by Vidal. I mean, it was a a terrible pass. But Burke was where he was supposed to be. And and I think that's the difference is that he was there. He was in position. He reacted to it. um, And I think it's starting to show that – I, I don't know what the deal is with Cam Brown. He hasn't started. They've had seven banks in the starting lineup, and, and I'll have to look at Snapcast to see how much he played. Um, I honestly don't remember his name being called at all. Um, so I'm not sure if he even got in the game. But to me, I think it's pretty clear that Denzel Burke is CB1, I guess. I mean, uh, yeah, without I mean, a doubt. Which is I, remarkable he's like- as he's a, he's a true freshman. Yeah, and you know he wasn't like a name that was getting a no. lot of love in the offseason either. And ever since he he's been the one DB all four weeks who's consistently made big plays. Yeah, so and even seeing and it even again, when he wasn't perfect, he made the plays, and like you can see him growing each week, which is I think the yeah. big thing because. Uh, 
Ohio State's always going to have talented DBs, but it's the fact that they're most of them don't get to play this early, especially not as a starter. But he's gotten better, and that's what I think has been most impressive about him. He was always making good plays early in the season, but he's he's progressed, and I even progressed in games at times, which is awesome, awesome to see. Yeah, and I, I think if we had a collective play, uh, that Chris Olave touchdown was just so elegant. <laughs> it has to get a mention. Yeah. It, like I, elegance, the one word for it. I, and it was awesome. You know, we had a lot of huge plays, and that's kind of what we want to see. We want this segment to be a little hard. Uh, my player of the game offensively, Stroud. Uh, do you have a player of the game offensively I mean, for the group? If it's here? not Stroud, what are we doing? I mean, Olave had a great game, yeah. but I mean, Stroud was practically perfect in every way. Yeah, and then defensively, I think I'd have to go with Ronnie Hickman. I think he really stood out to me. Uh, He's just been all over the field. He's doing a variety of different things. He's great in coverage. He's been phenomenal in the run support. Like He should not be leading in tackles as a safety, but he's a hybrid linebacker, so I think he should be making a lot of tackles. Especially in an offense, uh, against an offense that, you know, they ended up throwing the ball a lot, but that's not their thing. They threw the ball a lot because they were down early, but like, you want a guy to come up in coverage at that bullet position and be able to make tackles when he has to and you also want to be able to drop back in coverage like he has to and he's able to do both um and he's just such a great athlete he was hurt for i think pretty much all of 2020 so the fact that he's been able to kind of turn in this kind of performance and really help solidify um the back end of a defense um that really could have gone to pot after uh proctor got hurt like i think that's huge i still think I'm not 100% sure what they're doing at the free safety position, but for him at that at that bullety whatever we're calling it position, like he's really helped solidify the secondary uh, in a way that Ohio State needed this year, given all the issues that they had last year, given all the t- tumult at the beginning of this year, and given that Josh Proctor is out, like he's he's been huge. Yeah, I, I think I think you you put it. He's the steady hand the defense needed, especially after Proctor, because Proctor was supposed to be the steady hand of the defense, mm-hmm. and you know he never really got the opportunity early in the year with how early he got injured. But Hickman, I mean, it's like he's playing free safety. It's like he's playing he's strong playing safety. It's like anywhere they need him at a given time, he's just playing there and he's doing it well. And then you are able to take Cam Martinez's athleticism and utilize it. And then you're able to take what Lathan Ransom does well and kind of use those three interchangeably in a lot of ways. And it's been awesome, but Hickman's just been, he's been on another. Yeah, absolutely. I, in my brutally honest to-do list before the game started, I kind of laid out what my defensive depth chart would be. And it includes, it includes four four freshmen, four sophomores, two juniors, and two seniors. And while it wasn't exactly what we got uh, today, I feel like that's the way they're going. And, and it is so anti-Ohio State from what we've seen dating back to the Trestle era, Trestle era, the Urban Meyer era, and the beginning of the Ryan Day era. They've And partially because of how well they all recruited, but they just never gave the benefit of the doubt to the young guys. And we're starting to see that. So when you've got guys like Lathan Ransom, who even though I don't think he technically was the starter Bryson Shaw was, and Shaw's younger than Ransom, but I think Ransom probably got more snaps. You got Cam Martinez, who's a second year freshman. 
Um, Denzel Burke, who's a true freshman, Ronnie Hickman, who's a sophomore, um, Cody Simon, um, JT Tui Malo out. Like these are guys, these are young guys who are showing why they were as highly recruited and they're really making up for ineffective 2018 and 2019 defensive recruiting classes. Uh, and that's what you're going to have to do to continue the successes that we've seen in the last couple of games and to be able to do it against better competition throughout the rest of the Big Ten season and into the postseason. Yeah, and I think young talent that's equal to older talent needs to be on the field because you're going to get two more years of a lot of these guys. So I I think that's kind of the biggest takeaway from this game, from these last two games, is these guys can play football. Now it's just about letting them grow into the great football players you want them to be. Uh, To close out, we got to hit some injuries. We usually talk about the ones that happened in the game. Uh, The unavailability report still had Tyreek Smith on it and a few other notable names. But uh, in the game, Henderson got banged up. Day seemed to, I think, come out of halftime and said, oh, it's not serious. And then he was just done for the day, which at that point, why wouldn't you? I mean, on on the play, Uh, if you watch the play, and I'm sure we'll see it again, like he's looking to run over whoever the defender was that was trying to tackle him. And it looked to me like he got his bell rung. So I don't know if it was – a concussion protocol or just being extra careful with potential head injury while you're already up three or four touchdowns, whatever it was at the time. And he's your potentially your best offensive weapon. Um, He certainly looked like he was fine on the sideline, jumping around and celebrating and smiling. And he looked fine. Um, Obviously you never know what happens when it comes to head injuries. And then we obviously that has not been confirmed that it was a head injury. That was just me watching what it looked like. Ryan day seemed uh, not worried about it at halftime. And I'm sure as, as we're recording, they might be trying to get some, you know, the beat guys might be trying to get some more details. Um, but I, I was a little worried at first because even live, I was like, oh, that might be a head thing. But he seemed fine. And there was no real reason, like you said, to, to put him back in that game. Yeah. And I think uh, we could both probably assume that next week he'll probably be out there on the field. Uh, I, I am intrigued. So with the unavailability report, we've seen a mixed bag of players so go weird. on and off it. And I guess before we get into what's next for the Buckeyes, I kind of just want a quick thought on that. Like some of these players, you hear about the injury. Some of these players, all of a sudden it's Saturday and they're on the unavailability report. And it's like, wait, where? I didn't hear anything about this all week. And, you know, we've made jokes like if a player looks at wrong today, just put him on the unavailability report or something along those lines. I just kind of want to get like what your take is, because I've seen a lot of fans, especially in the comments of a lot of the beat writers posting it with a lot of questions and a lot of complaints. So is it extra precaution before we get really down the stretch? We're kind of getting into a bye week. That'll give a lot of players a chance to come back. Do you think they're just, are these injuries like from the past that are kind of re-aggravated? I don't know. I'm just kind of at a loss for it. So I just kind of wanted to hear where you're well, at. With I think it. the problem is that we actually, and I'm this, I mean this 100%, this is all Urban Meyer's fault because, and I say that because Urban Meyer was not shy about sharing injury updates with players. Now he didn't come out and tell everybody everything, but he was pretty open about discussing guys who were injured or even banged up or dealing with stuff. And I think we got used to that. And as fans, and and people who write about the team and, and especially the beat people who cover the team like um, having that information on the record like that's a huge deal we want to know those things um, and and then by the time we got got those uh, availability reports which used to come on Fridays remember um, it used to come out the day before the game 
um, a lot of it yep. wasn't a surprise. Like we kind of knew it. It was the guys who'd been hurt all year. And then if, if a guy was on there, you know, some of them were surprises because they happened late. But like a lot of them we knew about. Ryan Day is the polar opposite. And in the podcast that dropped on Saturday morning when I was talking to Lori Schmidt, she said, you know, Ryan Day doesn't share that information, but he never lies about it. Like she's never seen him straight up lie about it. So at least we've got that, but he just doesn't share it. So guys getting hurt or guys being out, we don't know the details. And that I think is where the frustration comes in is because we got so used under Urban Meyer for him just being like, whatever, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm a Mount Rushmore college football coach. I'm going to just talk. And Ryan Day is the exact opposite. One thing I will note, which I don't know if you saw on Twitter during the game, defensive tackle Noah Potter um, posted from a hospital bed. Um, He said uh, it's been a crazy 24 hours or something. He said he went to the emergency room because he started having issues with his peripheral vision. And he was in a hospital bed with a cover of some sort over his eye. It wasn't, it didn't look like a patch. It looked like there were holes. So it might've been something to get light. I don't, I don't know. I'm not an optometrist or an ophthalmologist. I'm an, a literal idiot, but um, that it was interesting that he was on the unavailable uh, list for that game. But, you know, guys like Pallier Note Note is on there um, that he was a game time decision. He did not dress Mike Hall, who played last week and looked pretty good at tackle. He was out. Um, we know Julian Fleming's been kind of beat up. Um, you know, Tyreek Williams again, Mayan Williams has kind of been in and out and we don't really have any good explanation as to why. And with Ryan Day, I don't know that we ever will, unfortunately. And I understand why, not only from a protecting the privacy of the kids perspective, but also not tipping your hand to your opponent. Um, But it it can certainly be frustrating. And I I don't I would not assume the worst, like I think a lot of fans do. But I I also don't like it. You know, like I don't think there's some big, vast conspiracy and he's just like benching players for the hell of it. Um, But I would certainly like more information. Yeah, he for sure seems to take like that hockey approach where like if anyone asks, it's like lower leg injury, upper body injury. And then he just keeps it simple and straightforward like that. And I I mean, I, I I appreciate more information, but as like, I I don't want Ryan Day to just be like, yeah, these six players are out, go prepare for him, you know, so I kind of get it as well from that side. But yeah, I, I guess it's just one of those confusing things, you know, as fans, you get frustrated with, but it's just a kind of a day. It's just a business thing at the end of the day with that mm-hmm. in my eyes and I, I your eyes as well. So uh, it sucks, but it's something we're going to have to keep on guessing about. And, you know, we don't even know, like Mayan Williams was out with an illness two weeks ago and this week he's out again. So uh, just a lot of questions. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, to close it out today, uh, what is next for the Buckeyes here? We've got the Maryland Terrapins coming to Ohio State. Uh, for all you guys who love the early nooners, uh, we've got a big noon kickoff once again. Uh, so get excited for that. Um, how do you feel about the Terps with an early look Ooh. at them? Uh, before the Iowa game, I think we were a lot <laughs> yeah. more concerned, uh, but I think they laid out a blueprint. I think we kind of see Talia Tagovailoa as what his floor is and his ceiling. So I guess going into next week, what do you think about the Terrapins? I, you're right. I thought of them much differently on Thursday than I am on Saturday after their Friday night game against Iowa. Ohio State is a very, very different team than the Iowa Hawkeyes are. So I don't know that they're going to be able to do exactly the same things, but I think you're right. Like the, the fact that, Ohio State has kind of started to develop a propensity for being able to turn over quarterbacks and score off of turnovers. Um, 
might be a very good thing given the fact that uh, the younger Tungavailoa brother um, <laughs> gave up the ball a lot on Friday night. So I'm excited uh, about the game because I think it's another game against a decent opponent, not a great opponent, um, but another decent opponent like Rutgers is for Ohio State to kind of continue to build. Um, and I wrote an article back in January about how this was a perfect schedule for Ohio State to get to the playoff. Because I said, if they lost either Minnesota or Oregon, which obviously happened, they could build from there, go into a bye week. And then I expected the Indiana game to be a much more difficult game than I think it probably will be now. But the back-to-back Rutgers and Maryland, which are competent opponents, if not quality opponents, really shakes up, shapes up really well. So I'm all for Ohio State doing something similar to Maryland as they did to Rutgers today, it might look different because of how those teams are built, but they're both okay teams. They're not the worst teams in the Big Ten. They're not the best, uh, but I'm very comfortable with Ohio State putting you know putting up a 28 to 35 point win against Maryland, going into the to the week off to the off week, and then really getting into an interesting stretch where you've got. A game, Indiana, who I think will probably come into that game really excited to play Ohio State. Then you've got the Knits. Then you've got Nebraska and Purdue. Where not that you can pull off the gas, but not going to be necessarily the the potentially tough games that end the season against the two teams from the Mitten State. So I, I I think it's really a good opportunity for Ohio State to continue to solidify some of the changes that they've made, and then really just gear up to go full bore in the last six games of the season after the bye. Yeah, I think leading into the bye week with all the challenges Ohio State's had, these are like the two perfect teams you'd want to play because offensively they've both been good enough to challenge other teams' defense and Rutgers defensively had been really good up to that point against Ohio, like before Ohio State came in and kind of just made mincemeat of them. Uh, Maryland's kind of the opposite where they're very offensively inclined and their defense has let them down quite a bit this year. So it's going to be a good test, and I'm excited for it. Uh, I love doing the instant recaps at 3.30 instead of, like, <laughs> yeah. 9.30. So I'll take all the noon games I can get. Uh, and, yeah, I guess Ohio State, huge win today. Uh, final thoughts here before we send everybody off driving home. Yeah, I, I just think that they have shown the willingness to make changes that I don't know that I anticipated um, at the beginning of the season, after we saw those first two games, I was really reticent to believe that Ryan Day would be willing to make any substantive changes to his staff, any substantive changes to um, the philosophy that they were playing with, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but he has done that in spades and it has delivered far more quickly than I anticipated it to. I knew that it would take time. So the Tulsa game didn't surprise me a ton that it didn't work immediately. But like you said in your your film study, like even though they weren't perfect against Tulsa, you saw the the building blocks of what could happen with those changes. And I think they've built off of those building blocks in the subsequent weeks. And I, and I think maybe I'm getting a little bit over my skis. Maybe I'm looking at things with scarlet covered glasses, but like, I think colored glasses, not covered. Um, I, I think they're setting themselves up for a really, really exciting October and November. Yeah. And I think that's where I, I'd want to leave everybody off. Like this is exactly what, we tried to tell you once that Tulsa game happened, like it wasn't perfect, but there were improvements. And now we've seen improvements against Akron, which we all said, Hey, it was Akron. And now everyone's going to look at the Rutgers Jersey and be like, Oh, well it's just Rutgers. But 
week one, we were not saying that against Minnesota, and Minnesota seems to be a much worse football team at this moment than yeah. Rutgers injuries, is. And uh, injuries that, played a part in that, to be fair. Yeah, but like transitive property, you know, it's college football's greatest go-to <laughs> argument thing. source. And Ohio, Ohio, Ohio State's improved, and that's really all you can ask. And, you know, you want to peak at the right time. That's the goal of college football. And at this point, they're climbing the mountain right now. They haven't reached their peak yet. We don't even know what that is at this point with this new look. So it's exciting. I'm really happy with the final result for today. And lastly, uh, Matt, where can we find you on social you media? Can, before yeah, we you can find here. me on Twitter and Instagram if you want. Um, I'm kind of boring there, but you can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt. All right, and then you can find me on Twitter at Chris Rennie CFB. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed so you can hear all the shows throughout it. We've got Hangout in the Holy Land, the flagship show, Buck Off, my other show. We've got Jordan's show, the I-70 show. We've got a lot of them, uh, Play Like a Girl. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of different talented people talking every single day of the week. We've got In Conversation with yourself, Matt. Uh, check out This Mornings with Lori Smith. Those seem to age well, so... Uh, yeah, before my dog starts freaking out too much, we're going to get out of here. And yeah, so Ohio State, they beat Rutgers. I'm still tired of Rutgers calling themselves the Scarlet Knights when we've already got a claim to that color in the conference. So I don't know how many times we had to beat them before they stopped that. <laughs> well, they're new to the conference, so I, I feel like we can grandfather it in. But if, if they start going with the little gray uh, accent colors, then we can uh, we can have a, a back alley brawl or something. Yeah, I think we got it. Uh, and as always, thank you guys for coming. We love doing this show. It's a lot of fun getting on here right after the game. Uh, should be up here shortly after the recording. So uh, we will be seeing you guys next week after Ohio State takes on Maryland.